Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is Renee, your host of the Embodied Astrology Podcast, and I have a very special episode for you today. I'm so happy to get to share a conversation that I had a couple of weeks ago with my friends over at Big Dyke Energy Podcast, Gala Makomalova and Rose Blakelock. Um, in this episode, we talk about all kinds of things. We talked about their podcast, we talked about my podcast, the nature of collaboration, how we work as astrologers. Um, I got into talking about embodied astrology and how I read charts as bodies. We looked at a number of the outer planet transits and the astrology of 2019 and how we're interpreting this astrology and some of the things that we are noticing are coming up and definitely issues of uh, the astrology for this year. Autoimmune um, symptoms and environmental sensitivities, trauma, trauma resolution, boundaries, compassion, drugs, spiritual awakening, spiritual processes, spiritual bypassing. We talk about gay placements and whether or not there is such a thing. And uh, we theorize a little bit about all the different placements which could be gay. We talk about femtops, bossy bottoms, and fixed signs, which we are all. So I hope that you enjoy this podcast. It's a special episode um, made in honor of Pride Month and Pride Forever. Um, really want to give a big shout out of support to the Big Dyke Energy podcast there. One of my favorite astrology podcasts and a new podcast. I have a really good time listening to them, and I think you will too. They are two queer astrologers. They talk about astrology, spirituality, pop culture, and more. And you can find the Big Dyke Energy podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, at anchor.fm, on Instagram, at Big Dyke Energy Podcast, on Twitter, at Big Dyke Podcast, and in New York, maybe, where they are. So enjoy your listen. I hope you enjoy the show. And thanks so much for taking the time and hanging out with us today. But um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is Embodied Astrology with Big Dyke Energy. Or, <laughs> or it's Big Dyke Energy with Embodied Astrology. Or Embodied Dyke Energy. Which yeah, <laughs> Big Embodied Dykes. <laughs> big Embodied Dykes, Big Dykes Embodied. Mm -hmm. Embodied. <laughs> embodied yaddy yaddy. Stop. Okay, I'll stop. stop. <laughs> Your podcast is amazing. Will you tell me a little bit about it? Will you tell the listeners a little bit about it? Sure. Uh, Rose and I are two big dykes. True. And we like to talk about what? Astrology, spirituality, pop Kristen culture. Stewart. Kristen Stewart, Lena Waithe, uh, Tracy Chapman, Lena Waithe, <laughs> Lena Waithe, uh, Zena. <laughs> just like... Uh, Anything that any scraps of culture that we can claim as our own as dykes, um, real and imagined, mm -hmm. you know, we like to make uh, esoteric information accessible to you through collective knowledge of the Southic experience. Mm -hmm. And we're learning to meme. Mm -hmm. We're meesters yeah. <laughs> <Burmesters> too. <laughs> How did you guys start your podcast? Because how long has it been going now? It's just a couple months, right? Yeah, it has. I mean, how did we start it? I was I started nudging Rose and going, Rose, you want you want to do a podcast together? Rose, 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 you want to do a podcast together? And Rose was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, January. 
And then I think that Galo thought that I wasn't serious. I really didn't believe her. And then it was like January 1st. I was like, okay, Galo, when are we doing this? I borrowed a micro- another microphone. And I was like, wow, this is so nice. Somebody had an idea or a plan with me, and they're actually going to see it through. <laughs> we both have a little um, past collaborative heartbreak of um, mm-hmm. folks with no follow-through. Group, group projects that uh, where we did all the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hear you. You ever have those? I've had a couple. Collaboration is challenging. <laughs> challenging indeed. Um, I think, Renee, one of the things I love most about your podcast, like the ones that, you know, the Embodied Astrology podcast that you know, got me interested in your work, was the somatic meditation that you paired with all your astrological knowledge because you're really offering something that I didn't, see anybody else doing and for me it was so useful to take that information that you were giving my like head which of course like my Libra Mars Mercury so like information information and my sad rising is like information information (laughs) and like my body is just like what is information where are we do you have any experience in this world and then you're like you do have it here it is Mm-hmm. feel it in your bones and I'm like mm, thank you mm. yeah it's true I feel like I definitely I found your podcast uh maybe a year ago or so and I'm it was like coincided I guess over a year but it definitely coincided with a lot of really big shifts for me and part of it was like getting back into my body and like nourishing that relationship and like figuring out like how to listen to it and how everything was related so I I just feel like I really want to echo that sentiment as far as like how how helpful it was helping get us out of our brains and into our bodies a little more oh my gosh you're welcome it's my pleasure I can't um I mean it's I don't know I guess there's a word for synesthesia like people who what one sense relates to another sense, like sound mm-hmm. turns into color or something. And for me, everything turns into sensation. Mm-hmm. And so, and it happens so much with astrology. I'll look at a chart and it's like, oh, it's that feeling. Whoa. Oh, it's that feeling. Wow. And it, wow. it's a very strange thing. It's like I have a catalog of, you know, any kind of impression, like emotional, the, the emotional psycho impressions of different moments. And working with clients a lot, you know, and, and kind of, I pick up a lot of their feelings. And so I'll look at an aspect and it's like, oh yeah, it's that feeling, you know, when your mom misses this really important piece of information and then she turns away and the, the way that you internalize that shame or so it's like so specific or something will come out. Wow. That's so cool. You have like a clear, like a particular kind of like that's like sentience. Yeah, is that sentience? I mean, I don't actually. I think clear sentience is like clear. It's like knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, but something. I think that synesthesia isn't wrong. Right? It's well, I learned this word the other day or a few months ago called interoception. That is, it's it's basically feeling other people's bodies in your body. Which is the thing, so that started for me when I was teaching yoga, and like I would walk by, you know, a student, and I would just get this big feel, like I'd get some feeling in my body and know that that was the thing I was going to talk about, and and it was a couple years till I realized that it that it was directly translating to the people who are around me. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I mean, it just sounds also that like there is some kind of aspect to it that's like, I mean, I would imagine that word to me would be like you're in a yoga class and you feel the feelings in somebody else's body. Mm-hmm. But when you're like anticipating a feeling that somebody has with their family member in their body, that feels like a psychic gift as well. Like that doesn't just feel like a, like the way that some of us look at someone and we see how they're feeling and some of us look at someone and we feel what they're feeling that feels like you're going beyond what you can experience in like one realm yeah maybe I mean it definitely comes with the chart reading I don't know that I have that the rest of the time I mean in a, in particular context like t- like teaching when there's permission when people are really open to me perceiving them in that way um but it's not like I'm walking down the street and just getting like flashes of other people's feelings the charts um, make sense to me as bodies. Like if I look at a chart, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but it like makes sense to me as a body. Have you looked at the like general like kind of um, astrology for, for May and the, that, the body of May? Of May? I don't know. I mean, I think maybe the body of this year feels more accessible as an idea. Like the, these big transits and like, you know, the yeah. movements of Chiron and Uranus into different signs, both of them coming from long transits, seven and eight years into other long yeah. transits. Um, and then the Saturn-Pluto conjunction right. and the, and the Jupiter-Neptune square, like those things, the, the south node with Saturn, like we were talking about. I guess I'm also just curious that like now that you've described the body of the year just by saying the different placements, like, what does that look like to you as a body? Like, when you say a body, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Well, in a personal chart, it would have to do with the houses and where things were placed. But mm-hmm. thinking about more of the collective body, because that's what it feels like to me. It's like we're mm-hmm. all part of a collective body. Like, we're all cells in it. Yeah. Um, with the with the Saturn and Pluto conjunction, it feels like we're going through chemotherapy, like collective wow. chemo. Um, just intense radiation and like looking for whatever resources are still healthy enough that we can solidify and, you know, feel some kind of support. Um, with Uranus moving into Taurus, it feels like our metabolism is really changing. And, um, the, I, I have so many clients, I don't know if they gravitate towards me or if it's just something that's happening right now that more and more people are getting autoimmune yeah. kinds of things, yeah. chronic There's illnesses. There's reasons for that. Well, I think so much right. food stuff, honestly. Food and chemicals and environmental pollution and stress. And also the spread of ticks throughout the nation. Yeah, like it's no longer an eastern seaboard thing. Right. So a lot of people are getting Lyme disease as well. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, which uh, again is more like of the chemical stuff, right? Because they're getting more and more resistant to everything. Yeah, and also Lyme disease is an initiatory disease, right? So it's like what it opens you up for is co-infections, and especially mm. if you're immunocompromised, then genetically modified foods and all these like perfumes in every single house and every single building all these chemicals are going to break down your barriers even more because you no longer have the resistance right and I think there's something in certain people are more susceptible to things like Lyme or things like mold someone really close to me has Lyme and we we were talking to their doctor 
their doctor is like this um, kind of Chinese medicine person who's been specializing in Lyme for a long time. And he was talking about how what at his clinic, their method is um, working with bodies so that they're inhospitable hosts to, to Lyme. Whoa. And that, you know, and so thinking about like, why are some bodies hospitable hosts? Because a lot of people get bitten by ticks and you can get bitten by a tick and have Lyme dormant in your system for a long time. And then at some point it may become active and Mm. it'll become active when the system is depleted. Like if somebody's going through a really stressful period or if they've gotten some other kind of illness and then some people are more susceptible, like they're better hosts. And those people... I don't know, I can't say that this is true generally, but just in my practice, um, almost everyone that comes in with autoimmune, they're really sensitive and um, they take on a lot for other people. So they, they're like folks that have more porous boundaries and they're, you know, they tend to be psychically very sensitive and yeah. you know, hosts for um, other people's shit. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's also true that a lot of the people, I mean, like a lot of the people I know who have Lyme now are people who are sexual assault survivors. Yeah. I was going to say trauma, trauma experiences in general. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yep. So, like, I mean, in some cases, we, you know, we do know the studies that say that, like, if you're somebody who has had intensive trauma, then if you are not working with that trauma or if you're letting it, like, fester in your body it can create autoimmune systems right but it also symptoms but it also seems true in terms of what Renee's talking about that if someone um might already be living with a body that is like trying to move you through this life despite how much trauma you've encountered that then to encounter like a a poisonous species it just exacerbates the quickness in which it attacks your body. Mm-hmm. Well, and then also just when you're thinking about chronic health stuff as far as digestive issues, right? Like a lot of people who experience childhood trauma um, will develop, you know, your stomach it is the is mm-hmm. your second brain, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also like an emotional center. Mm-hmm. And I think about like all my poor sweet Virgo friends, like a lot of whom like will have on again, off again, digestive issues, mm-hmm. yeah. too much under processed or like unsuccessfully processed emotion or experience. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of trauma that, I mean, can come from abuse or come from sis- like systemic oppression mm-hmm. and also, I mean, and also just like being a sensitive person alive in the world. Um, when, like what those kinds of experiences do to us are they're so self-negating and Mm -hmm. they instill like these mental emotional patterns that negate the self and not this not like the ego self but like you like your highest self as like this being that is basically good that we like any baby knows that like they're you know they find a lot of pleasure in their body they're like (laughs) (laughs) just natural kind of naturally happy and then um that so quickly gets shut down and and that that's what trauma does is it builds the self-negating tendency right and then these like these illnesses that's what autoimmune is it's the 
you know, the body or the immune system attacking the body. And when, I mean, I don't, I don't know, this feels like maybe a risky thing to say because, Mm -hmm. um, I don't, it's not like a reason for people to get sick and not everybody has access to good healers or, or lifestyles that can allow them to do this. But I do see that a lot of people that end up with autoimmune, they, it's a real spiritual journey and they have to build boundaries. Yeah. Like they can't take, they can't take on other people anymore. They have to get really attentive to their own energy. They have to really listen to their own desires. And then obviously, you know, make sure that they're consuming quality I mean, foods. They also and stuff. have to really advocate for themselves yep. and get to know their bodies better than any doctor can. Because yep. most people who have autoimmune symptoms are not believed in a doctor's office. So they have to become experts at their own well-being, which many people don't know how to be because we surrender our sense of ourselves to others. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think, I don't know. I mean, I think that's been a, an interesting thing to come in with astrology because sometimes it seems like just providing the reflection of, Oh, you're someone who's really sensitive. You take on a lot of people's bullshit. You don't have to do that actually. Like there, you know, you won't be a a bad person if you don't do that. Like just hearing that for a lot of people seems to be a very revolutionary moment or like a really profound moment. Mm -hmm. And that, how many people tell you that in your life? Right. And that, that astrology is this tool that I feel like is not very judgmental. I mean, the reader, obviously myself has her bias or judgment, but seeing in a chart that someone has a lot of porousness in their, in their psychic space or emotional space, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just an observation. Sure. Are there any like placements that you, or like aspects that you're like, whoa, that's this porous. Is, this is hella besides just Pisces and how pals shit. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to say because it's definitely each chart and the way that things get configured. But the, I mean, the water signs, particularly Cancer and Pisces, Virgo, um, and the sixth and twelfth houses. Sure. For sure. And then, you know, aspects from Saturn and Neptune. Yeah. That makes sense. Like what kind of aspects from Saturn? Hard aspects? Not always. You know, sometimes I, not always. Well, with Saturn, I think probably the harder aspects. Um, Neptune Neptune and the softer aspects a lot of times. Sextile can bring actually a lot of trouble in. Yeah, sextiles and trines. I mean, it's like, oh, like there's no boundary because no one even feels it. Because <laughs> why do you need one? We're all just floating back in the ether again. You finally... Right. You finally rejoined the source. Or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or the, the first instinct is to believe in, you know, a lot of people, it's like someone someone will be an asshole and then the person with the poorest boundaries they're going to perceive that person first from a place of love. Like, oh, you know, you don't mean anything bad by, or like not, not even registering that there's maybe a threat to their environment or that that's a place where boundaries should be. Right. Right. The impulse to lead with compassion sometimes can be like a little detrimental. Mm -hmm. 
I'm also like just sitting here kind of curious about the way that we think about boundaries or like um, these particular moments of compassion and how they work differently just with every different element you know like I think that for instance what I've noticed in like Piscean energy is not necessarily that they have no boundaries and reception they have clear boundaries and reception they have a lot of unclear boundaries when it comes to where they're going Hmm. like I've known plenty of Pisces over the years who are just like whoa like I you know I could be anyone like I could I speak I speak a foreign language and they talk at you and you're like that's not you're not even saying that's not that's not the language Mm -hmm. but then at the same time like you try being like hey you know I need you to go with me at this time at this specific place or whatever and they're just like no I need the specific time for myself I mm-hmm. know exactly what I need and I can't mm-hmm. do that so yeah. there is a way in which like certain things act out differently or that's how I experience them but then like with Taurus energy for instance people think they're like super stubborn or hard or like whatever but I know Tauruses have horrible emotional boundaries mm-hmm. and I find that like the Tauruses that I've known in my life are often people who are just like once they decide that they're emotionally connected to someone and they're just like, I owe them everything. Mm-hmm. Curious about what makes us decide like what one kind of boundarylessness is over another because mm. I think that they might act out differently and just different elements. So we don't notice them as much because some people act sort of floppier and some people act sort of more stern. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I think it's also in the relationship too, right? Because Mm -hmm. I feel like Pisces people probably get each other's boundaries. Mm -hmm. You know, like it it might make more sense to them with each other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we're... I'm not sure. Tell me more. Okay, well, what you were just saying about Pisces, and then I forget when I heard you talk about this before, but I know it was on Big Dyke Energy. At some point, you were talking about Pisces, and you were like, yeah, I mean, there's this idea that Pisces don't know what they want, but they actually really know what they want, or it was something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about my experiences with Pisces of feeling often very confused about the communication, but part of the confusion was that I felt like the way I was being communicated to, there was a lot of like, oh, okay, like whatever, I'm fine, you take care of you, da, da, da. But then I would do that, I would just be me, and then there would, like someone would get really upset, the Pisces person would get really upset, because I wasn't doing the thing that they wanted me to do, but that wasn't actually ever communicated. Yeah, or or I, I didn't sense that it was communicated, but then I'm such a like fixed energy person, and I just get going into my thing, And I can be very non-relational sometimes. And so what I've begun to realize with Pisces is like, oh, if I take the time to emotionally connect and Mm -hmm. if they feel, if like, if, if we're going to have some kind of like heartful interaction and they feel like energetically I'm, I'm present at least for a minute. And then I, in that moment, I can be like, I'm a space cadet. And in 10 minutes, you're going to feel like I'm completely absent, but I'm going to prepare you for it now, that it then kind of, it works. But that something was getting lost in translation in terms of what the expectations were. So I wonder with Pisces, if, if part of the boundaries is the, if there's some kind of expectation around 
how people will be. Does that make sense? It does. Um, I remember hearing somewhere that the definition of charm is obtaining a yes without ever having to ask the question. And I think that that is a Piscean's ideal way of getting what they want. Mm-hmm. They, you know what I mean? And, and there's like, a, it's like you have to, like you were saying, like you have to come to this emotional connection. It's like they want you to meet them on the astral plane. And then when you're there together, mm-hmm. then you can like drop in and like actually like express what you need or what you're desiring. But otherwise, I think there's like often a lot of shame or guilt around being direct or often like they have a feeling about it but like they don't know what it is they just know when that like nerve is touched like oh that's the thing that's the thing I want to move towards right that makes sense it totally makes sense I'm wondering though if we could talk about Pisces just instead of Pisces people like as Mm -hmm. in the charts Sure. You know what I mean? Because so Neptune yeah. moving through Pisces now will forever, yeah. right? Like such a fucking long transit. So long. When does that ever end? Twenty twenty seven? Is that I mean, it? Higher on that of Pisces. At I least some for like, Yeah. But now yeah, Lilith is going is in, but not for so long. No. I mean uh, Neptune is uh, a base though. It is. So. so it's extra Pisces. It's like Pisces yeah. to the nth degree. I just, I think for me, what it feels like is a, wait, like, it just feels like a sort of, um, and I mean, maybe that's depending for me on, you know, because my Pisces also, like, intercepted in my house, in my mm-hmm. natal chart, so, like, but it feels like a lot of, um, there's a lot of the things that are unsaid that are just, I feel, and I think this is, like, um, an experience that I'm having simultaneously with all these retrogrades, but sort of, like, the, the Neptunian and the Piscean energy of, like, the other like the other realm and like what is beneath the surface of the water mm. and in conjunction at, in time not in the chart but like it happening in the same moment as all of these like the pluto retrograde next to the saturn retrograde is i feel like there's a lot of reveals mm. like i keep feeling that there's like a lot of different reveals collectively and personally for me so i feel it in the nation you know like this sort of like oh, like, oh, I guess we're going to talk about that video from Sandra Bland's car again, even though it was already available. Mm. But nobody wanted to actually discuss it. And finally, we're going to actually discuss it yet again. Mm-hmm. So things like that, like reveals that are kind of the collective has already known about because that's like in the news. So like, oh, this recording, everybody always knew this recording existed. We just continue to not acknowledge it as real evidence or anything that could put somebody away. Right. And at the same time, I feel it in like a personal level, like the things that I might have known my whole life about myself and how I relate to others, especially in that like deeply like Piscean, like we're all connected way. But all of a sudden, it feels close enough to the top of the water that I can like touch it and pull it out and be like, oh, oh, OK, mm-hmm. I get it. So we also have like this interesting and kind of stark contrast right of like Pisces is in its I mean Neptune is in its home sign of Pisces and then Saturn is in Capricorn Mm -hmm, where it's comfortable too so there's like that clash where like yes there's um you know there's the sextile aspect that goes on but I still would argue that like Capricorn and Pisces are some energies that feel very disparate Mm -hmm. as far as like how they exert themselves and so it's interesting where on the one hand we have like 
illusion and fantasy, but also being drawn into like a spiritual understanding and maybe like more of an understanding of us all being part of this larger organism. And then also like the harsh realities and like what's right here right now and like how we are restricted. Rose, are you talking about, so Saturn is in Capricorn and Neptune is in Pisces and currently they're sextile to each other. And is uh, so is that yeah, what you're talking about? Like they're what their aspect is right now. They may be pretty loose, but just in general, right? They're two signs apart. Well, uh, right, but also what Gala was saying a minute ago about these reveals, like Neptune mm-hmm. and Pisces on its own, feels a very like a lot of amnesia and dreaminess and kind of a who who knows what's going on. It's like you were saying, like oh maybe there's this evidence, but then it comes up and then it's forgotten. And yeah. Saturn and Capricorn wants the facts and it's very pragmatic and now they're they are sextile to each other pretty closely all year yeah Um, so doesn't it kind of feel like you're having these like there are these dreamy rumblings that are happening and be like why do I feel weird about that and then Saturn is like putting a pin in it and being like exactly yeah is that thing that you vaguely felt I also feel like Pluto being conjunct Saturn means that like there's another underworld element that's deeper, right? So what you're having here is like you're having this like the dreamy amnesia or, you know, as I mean, and what we might call our cultural amnesia and then perpetual cultural amnesia, perpetual amnesia. But then with Pluto, we're also looking at a deep reawakening and so there is a way in which like Pluto is also reaching into the underworld mm-hmm. but it's going below the surface of mm-hmm. the, the water and the ocean right and all the way down and going like no we need to pull everything up right and, and then like Pluto is yeah. giving a gravity to Neptune's energy where it's like yeah okay but like you know what's giving you nightmares well right? and so much is coming out through art right now yeah. too you know and and drugs I think like um you know what I mean all of a sudden it's nice I mean all my life like the people around me are potheads or something but now all of a sudden everybody's like taking psychedelics and getting stoned a lot and having you know like they're really into journeying and meditating and granted that's my circle but it feels like it's, it's like a, a larger collective thing that's happening too that I did not feel even five years ago. Totally. Well, and if you want to talk about, which we haven't talked about this episode, but we both have done, like, as far as like real Taurus vibes, like the substances that you mentioned and the ones that people seem to be gravitating towards mm. are psychedelics and pot, right? They're mm-hmm. natural. Mm-hmm. And and though you could argue that you can like get into couch lock and watch a lot of TV, they aren't the same kind of escapist. Like you don't really get away. No, and Molly is natural too. <laughs> That's true. And if you find some natural Molly, <laughs> but you mean it's not always cut with speed? <laughs> I know, right? Like, what is that about? <laughs> You know what I really need to, like, round up this euphoria is um, a lot of anxiety. I don't feel that way. I just think that, like, for me, Molly came into my life at a really good time and taught me about my infinite capacity for love. Mm. And and then the next day I woke up and, like, the trees were a little bit brighter in color and maybe I had a little bit of a backache, so I took some magnesium, but no anxiety was... Attached. So, listener, if you're out there thinking about it, 
you know, figure out the facts. Yeah. Get the facts, get a testing kit. Yeah. You know, people are putting gross stuff and stuff. So yeah, be yeah, careful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, mine is part of, like, a larger, like, when we were talking about how now everybody's doing drugs, like, me and my close friends would go and take psychedelics and eat Molly together and, like, love on each other for, like, as, like, a fake spring break for, like, a decade. And I remember, like, not being able to tell coworkers that that's what I was doing for mm. years. And now, like, everybody's like, oh, I'm going on an ayahuasca retreat. Ah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, cool. Join the club. Mm-hmm. Welcome. And of course, with that sort of comes um, the questions of like, where are they getting this ayahuasca? Who is leading the retreat? Who is like, exploiting? Who are, yeah. Yeah. And then like, who are, who's coming and like dumping a bunch of shit with these people and then leaving, right? Like the actual detritus. I guess for me, it's like, I wonder what the integration is all about, you know, and, and like these substances can really open up such profound realizations but then if there's not integration then it I feel right. like it's da- it's like more dangerous in some ways because yeah. it's kind of like okay so I went to a yoga class recently and they were talking about the yoga sutra which is such a it's like such amazing philosophy but then this thing happens to me which regularly happens in predominantly white yoga spaces where there's this conversation around yoga philosophy in in this like esoteric and also abstract way and and this thing happens where people are like oh right like the the you know identifications of the mind we can't get caught in them and like yoga is the cessation of those identifications but then there's there's no conversation about racism (laughs) You know, and so it's like, well, what does this actually fucking mean? Like, if we're going to be talking about these (laughs) together at yoga, no, it's not happening. It is not happening. Stretch in pigeon pose. Stretch, Renee. They just want to stretch and feel good in their Lululemon. Hey, can you pass me that blanket? And like, can we talk about white supremacy? (laughs) no but you know what I mean so like there's there's this philosophy that's coming out and like people are being exposed to it and there's something that's clicking and there's something that's opening but then it's not getting integrated in a real world way and then this thing happens where it becomes so self-righteous and dangerous feeling because people are like thinking that they're awakened and that they really know themselves but then there, there's no application to what's actually happening in a, in a more social practice. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is happening, too, with, like, folks going on ayahuasca journeys and stuff like that. Like, like all the stuff you guys said about where is it coming from, who's leading the ceremony, da-da-da. But then after that, there are these profound openings. But is there integration? Like, is there a process of, okay, like, I pulled this demon out of my you know, body, and it looked like my dad and the lineage of men in my life. But like that realization on its own, how does it get integrated then into a personal behavior, into other relationships, into a like more systems way? Do you know what I mean? Because also like, 
Okay, depending on who's leading that ceremony or who's working with you. Oh, I pulled this demon out of my body, this white supremacist demon. LOL, I just pulled it out. And then... Can you um, imagine? There's just a procedure. ...in this indigenous land. Uh, let's see where it goes. Mm-hmm. And I'm also going to leave a bunch of single-use plastic behind. <laughs> but it's like, you know, but also like, it, you know, if you really value like a spiritual journey, if you really like value the work that one might have to do with the different spirits that we carry you probably have to think about who is capable enough powerful enough wise enough to be able to hold a container strong enough so that when you pull out those your when you just casually pull those demons out like a lost sock in your (laughs) that like actually it doesn't like I can just roam free. Right. Yeah. Right. So you're not just pulling out measles. <laughs> right. Measles. <laughs> Sorry, just going with what's going on right now in this country. Well, I think that sometimes there's a resistance to place yourself, you know, to be like, oh, oh, yeah. I can see these systems and what's wrong, and now I'm healing and cleansing myself, but like there's a resistance to be like, Oh, but wait, where where do I fit in? Right. Because I'm also a part of this. Though it right. affects me negatively, like chances are I'm also part of the problem. Yeah. Like you can't pull yourself out of yourself, actually. You're all, wherever you go, there you are. Well, so and we're like, all part of the problem. And I think that that's, I mean, I feel that too. Like, I don't want to fucking look at that all the time. But it doesn't stop. You know, just because I might have a realization about something, it's like, well, I'm still going to be part of the problem. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I I believe that. I believe we're all part of the problem. I know because one time when I was rolling on shrooms, I was really aware of how many leaves I was crushing. I was like, I'm sorry, leaf. I'm sorry, leaf. I'm sorry, leaf. <laughs> you know? And I was just like, but then you come to the other part of the thing where you're like, we're all part of the problem, but also like me and the leaf are not separate. Right. You know, so it's it's a little bit this way. <laughs> and then also, yeah. just in general, I think we, we as a culture, I'm speaking of, like, Western culture, specifically in this country, like, we really struggle with being in process. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really, people want you to, like, I was sick and now I'm well. Right. Right? Like, I was this thing and now I'm not. When it's like, well, actually, like, uh, you're still kind of that thing. You know more about it now. But also being able to, like, intellectualize and articulate an idea does not mean that you have as you've mentioned before integrated it into like yourself and the way that you move through the world and the way that you interact with other people like just because you can identify that like oh that's a an energy or like um a a way of being that I would like to move away from like you don't realize that and then boom you're done like right it's that's actually when the work begins begins yeah, thank you for saying that. I I like that word with process. Because it does yeah. seem like that. I mean, it's very messy and continuous. And, and nonlinear, too. Totally right? nonlinear. I'm also grateful for you all saying that, except that you put that like really annoying song in my head that's like, I'm not sick, but I'm not well. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, Harvey Danger. And now it's just what like a loop uh-huh. in my brain. Guys, how do you feel like this relates to Saturn and Pluto on the south node? Release, release, uh, release. Karma, collective karma. Yeah. 
yeah like huge like really reworking re like I think that um so you know south node as a placement that speaks to past life karmic um you know lessons and karmic debt I think what we've been talking about when it comes to you know Pluto being conjunct Saturn and the transformation of systems that no longer work including not only systems of money but also systems of land ownership um national borders mm-hmm. just nationhood peoplehood as that is beginning to be pulled up and transformed or at least not taken for granted understood as having inherent faults mm-hmm. and needing to be restructured we're also looking at a lot of um yeah like i think f- for me what i see is like the karmic debt of what's been waged before and so when we look at these systems we can't just be like oh there's just something wrong with the you know like with the police in florida you know it's right. like oh no <laughs> like there's not just something wrong with some police in florida yeah. or like in the south you know like no there's not just something wrong with the los angeles and the chicago school systems like there is an inherent problem in the ways that we think we can protect others while simultaneously subjugating them and using their bodies for profit. There's an inherent problem with the fact that most of our school systems and our educational models are modeled on prisons and military industrial complexes. Yeah, industrial revolution, and they haven't been updated. Well, like specifically like military training. Mm -hmm. And... I think what we're seeing now, things that, you know, I think that a lot of us to the quote-unquote very left <laughs> kind of, I mean, we've known a lot of this stuff, like none of the stuff we're sitting around going, holy shit, did you did you think about this? It's like, yeah, we did, but I think that we we always we always thought about it, and if you brought it up to other people, they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah you crazy, crazy bitch, you know? And now it's like, yeah, there's some people on the internet that will still call you crazy, but now it's common dialogue mm-hmm. it's everywhere mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well I just think about with both Pluto and Saturn I also think about time and mm-hmm. history right and like um, it seems like there's actually like you're saying we have a little bit of a collective amnesia but I think that Pluto kind of forces you to look and like holds your eyes to the screen but there also is a promise of transformation with Pluto, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, Persephone goes down there, hangs out with him for the winter, but spring does come again. And so uh, I feel like that is a little heartening, especially with, like, the intensity of this Pluto and Capricorn, like, and Saturn and Capricorn, like, hanging out together down there, like, really looking at our past, really looking at, like, all of our karmic debt, like, really looking at what we need to release, like, Mm-hmm. Not for nothing. I was listening to, I like listened to an episode of Dan Savage where he actually talked about reparations, made the case for reparations. Where I'm like, okay, maybe people are changing. You know, mm-hmm. like I just feel like even even like the most unlikely allies are coming through, or like people who who like Gal was saying like a couple years ago would look at you like you're just some bad shit dyke talking about. I don't know, the school to prison pipeline now are like, oh yeah, that's a real thing. I watched that on Netflix. I saw a Brene Brown special. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to add, I just because you made me think of it, Rose, 
that when you speak about Persephone going down and Renee, when you talk, asked about the South Node, you know, I think for me, there is something about the fact that like, you know, if we think about the South Node as a karmic placement, but also as a past life placement and possibly the place where we learn between lives, right? So something that goes beyond the life that we can kind of consciously see that we are living and Persephone as kind of the queen of the dead, there is an aspect of um, of Pluto as if we are to imagine Persephone's influence here, especially given the springtime, mm-hmm. that there's an there for me part of our transformation, our ability to transform these systems, these collective traumas, um, is about learning to embrace the darkness that we come from, mm-hmm. right? Speaking of integration. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, speaking of Pluto, and Pluto not um, being a planet anymore, but getting reclassified. Wait, 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 hold on. <laughs> because now that Pluto's uh, classified as a KBO, which is a Kuiper Belt object, it is the first, it's the first of all of them, of these, like, however many there are now, some 3,000 that have been named, but a lot more that haven't been named. So Chiron being a a KBO as well. And um, like Melanie Reinhart talks about it a lot, like these objects having to do with intergenerational healing and transformation of trauma. And Pluto as a symbol, um, like if you've seen the, the picture of the planet and I think it's called the frozen heart of Pluto, like the big, yeah, this amazing kind of metaphor for what happens with trauma, which is freeze, that Pluto is like the gatekeeper of that space. And as soon as I heard that from her, I was like, oh, Pluto didn't get demoted. Pluto actually claimed its own space as, you know, as like part of this other realm that has to do with um, trauma healing. And and what do you think mm -hmm. is the sort of different work that if this is trauma healing and the, and the frozen heart, the different work between what Pluto is doing and what Chiron is doing in that, in that, in that framework. Hmm. Well, I think with Pluto, there's, I feel like Pluto is a lot of like the, I guess I think about oil, like being a substance that Pluto rules and oil being the, like the decomposition of dinosaur bodies, right? Like all of this layering and melting of previous life forms into something that's incredibly rich and potent and powerful, but that also in itself has inherent like capacity with what humans do with it to, to power a lot of things, but then because of its power, you know, and the way that we relate to power, we get really caught up in our own shit around it. Mm-hmm. And the the way that Pluto feels to me is very much relating to power and relating to the ways that power has been formed throughout generations and ages and also in our own personal biographies. And so the way that like a Pluto transit can bring up um, rep- like things that have been repressed but it's very early childhood instincts of powerlessness, you know, like as, as a baby, when you, you know, a totally healthy family system, like loving mom or something needs to go away and like baby doesn't get the boob. 
that feeling of like, I don't get the boob is it's like infuriating and huge and devastating and like, fuck, (laughs) you know, like, where's that boob? And like that sensation of not getting what you want, of being powerless to get the thing that you want. And then layer on top of that, the shit that a lot of people go through, that everybody goes through in childhood of just feeling that their will is diverted by the people that are bigger than them. And, um, and then layer on top of that, all the shit of like societal constructs and family trauma and stuff like that, that feels very Plutonian to me, like how we learn our own power and the issues around power. With Chiron, I think, I mean, the centaurs specifically, their imagery of half animal, half human feels really important to me. And um, it's similar, but not the same. I think the way that in our evolution as a human species, like basically it's only in the last, what is it, like 5,000 years that we have a cultural history, but then there's some million amount of years before that that humans have existed but we just had a like a biological history in terms of the like the development of human um bodies and like how we migrated but before before we started forming societies and things like that Mm -hmm. and so when the cultural history of humans began um this is all in this book sapiens that i've been reading where he like the he talks about how um, there were different kinds of um, homos, right? Like the, the Homo sapiens are the ones that made it, but before that, with the Neanderthals or something like that, like the reason why Homo sapiens became the dominant um, species, like human species, is because of our capacity to organize in groups greater than one hundred, and. There, like before that we could we had tribes and obviously humans could help each other but the but after 100 the groups would start to splinter and fight against themselves or like they'd need to go off and have separate spaces or something it sounds like lesbians right yeah. <laughs> but then we've never taken over <laughs> not yet but here's the thing because he said that um, how humans um, did end up taking over was with our capacity to organize huge groups of people because of beliefs mm. and concepts and like stories. And so that's the cultural history of humanity. So then when we talk about human history, we're talking about cultural history, like oh, this dynasty, that kingdom, this tribe, whatever. But the biological history of our bodies is much older than that. And it's very instinctual, you know, because we're animals, but we've been modified and entrained around culture and like our minds and all the stories for so long that we also have forgotten our animal selves. And so with Chiron and the other centaurs, those instincts, I think, and the ways that we separate from ourselves, which are incredibly painful or can be, um, I think that's a lot of what can get healed. Yeah. That, I think the thing that struck me when you're talking about difference between Pluto and Chiron, I think is also with Pluto, there, there is that impulse to repress, right, the mm-hmm. wound and to, like, hide it. There's a hidden aspect and that it also, like, it's when it transforms, it does give you power, whereas I feel like 
with Chiron, a lot of it, it's like Chiron's the one like pretty much he wore on his sleeve, right? Like right. it was no secret and it was just like a shame that he couldn't figure out how to fix it. Right. But it's like with that, it's more about also a gift that you share with others. Right. Right. And that's, and that's like the lesson of Chiron. Right. Whereas with like Pluto, it's like you turn into, you turn like this deepest, darkest secret into a source of power. Yeah. But I was just thinking about, um, you know, like uh, on violence, like Hannah Arendt's on violence and thinking about the ways that um, for so many decades or centuries, people have been trained to believe that violence is a kind of power, Mm. right? And that's like a lot of what on violence, you know, stipulates or works with is rejecting the idea that if you are moved to exert violence on people, then that means that you have power over them, wherein there's a lot of proposals that actually, like, your power comes from, like, you're powerful when you are chosen and when, like, there's an exchange of love Mm. rather than when you feel like you have to exert violence in order to have control or allegiance. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, that's the opposite of power. Right. Right. Yeah, and I'm thinking about that in regards to when we're thinking about like Pluto conjunct Saturn and mm. these collective moments, like what it means for us to push back against violence as even the idea of power or safety or um, regulation. Mm-hmm. Well, and also just fear, right? Yeah. Saturn and Capricorn, particularly on the South Note, like that's yeah. so much. Fear, fear-based motivation mm-hmm, and exactly. moving from the scarcity mindset, which, which is what makes capitalism work. Right. So, <laughs> does it work? Who does it work for? I mean, yeah, it works for a hundred people or something, mm-hmm. and and not for the rest of us. I wanted to touch on one thing, which is you said homo, and it made me think about gay stuff. Yay! <laughs> I was hoping you would think about that, Rose. <laughs> I'm pretty much never not thinking about I can't even think straight. <laughs> Rose. <laughs> what homo shit were you thinking about now? <laughs> Literally nothing. I was like, ooh, what's gay? Um, I mean, yeah, Uranus is gay. I was thinking about that. Yeah. But then I was also just thinking about, like, when we were, like, just starting to talk to you and we were talking about, like, are there gay placements? Are there not? Like, what are things that we think are, like, funny or interesting that sometimes we see, like, come up in a chart where we're like, oh, what is, like, Gala has some mm. theories. Do you mm-hmm. have some theories? Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I would say is Saturn, Pluto, and Capricorn in the South Node there, but especially Pluto and Capricorn, like, in the last 10, 11 years since Pluto has been in there, a lot of people have come out. That is one thing. And this dissolving of traditional constructs of normativity is a celebration, yeah. right? More and more, not everywhere Love at all. Love is power. Love is power. And like, there's no right way. And people are recognizing that, I don't know, monogam- heteronormative, monogamous uh, ideas, like, you know, only work for the same hundred people that capitalism do. <laughs> well, I mean, again, like, as I, I'm just going to keep saying it, but it does kind of bring me back to, like, the variance of this idea where it's, like, to dissolve the um, the nuclear family, quote-unquote, although weird weird phrase, nuclear family, if you think about it, mm-hmm. um, 
But <laughs> is that is that phrase? I don't know this. Is that phrase like because of the nucleus? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I think it's like these are the parts of the mm-hmm. atom or whatever. Like we're um, all like we're all a cell. Like if we're in a family, we're the cell, and the nucleus yeah. is our. Except that cell is always like man, woman. Uh, what, like two, two children, children, one cat, one two dog. Children and one unknown. Yeah. Yeah, one cat, one dog. Pick it fun. But like, to dissolve that, right, and create an open field, right, where there's an abundance of connections, even mm-hmm. if you don't practice polyamory, even if you begin to understand that, like, partnership is not all. Right. You know, where you build a singular self that is powerful enough to be able to be lovingly present for all those around you that you want to be present for, or like you are in partnership, but that doesn't make you into like a, it's just you and me, baby, against the whole world. We Mm -hmm. isolate ourselves and then take on two mortgages (laughs) and then wonder why we're so miserable. We don't Mm -hmm. want our friends. Let's like only, yeah, like let's, like, let's only have a vision of the future that's completely blind to what the world looks like around us and who is around us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to, like, that, like, when you say, like, oh, people are coming out or, like, people are abandoning heteronormative structures, again, like, what I hear is that people are choosing a wider, more expansive, uh, more inventive and less restricted version of love. Right. Mm, well, and it's, you know, Pluto and Capricorn rules are changing. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Period. Rules and structures. But then also when I think about south notes, I just think about bottoms and tops. <laughs> what? Wait, what? what? When you think about Saturn there? <laughs> well, you're talking about the south nodes. You mean like the ICMC axis? Sure, and I was just thinking about like bratty bottoms. And... <laughs> oh, if there's astrological signatures for bratty bottoms? I mean, maybe for bratty bottom behavior. I know that Gala has a theory about some top energy. I mean, sure. I really believe that. Um, I don't believe. I don't believe anything. I. I have curious. I'm curious about like um, how how often I meet femmes with incredible top energy who are also Taurus moons or have like maybe a Taurus Venus placement. I think that can also be like an equivalent in some ways, but I want to say just as we go on and as Rose has pointed out on some social media, <laughs> um, that when I say femme top energy, I don't mean feminine top energy. And I don't mean woman top energy. I mean femme top energy, which is uh, feminine presenting queer identified person. True, which is important because that identity is either subverting an expectation that a person in a certain body would present masculine or it's subverting an expectation that a person in a certain body or identity who's prevent presenting as femme is therefore not gay or like or presenting as femme for the male gaze which they are right yeah right exactly can you also define top (laughs) so I want to say that like there are many different ways to talk about um positions the positions (laughs) It was like the, na- the, the, the natal chart positions, the bedroom position, <laughs> the living room position, the <laughs> floor okay, position. Fine top? Um, I think like for me, 
top, there's like if I we talk about like top top versus like service top like if it's someone who's like all the way top it's someone who it wants to always be in charge and wants to be no you know what I have a really hard time with this because it's such an energetic field for me like right. service top is really easy to to define because it's someone who's usually doing the fucking and also very much still kind of um attuned to the wants of the person who is getting fucked uh, yeah i would define top as like a, an assertive slash aggressive um sexual it's like the defining the terms i think a lot of the time is what it is yeah it's defining the terms but also generally like maybe putting forth the greater extent of physical effort see it may be i think like i've definitely fucked a lot of tops, not a lot of tops. Where are they? There's, there's like, where are they? Um, I think I, I fucked enough tops who have an intense top energy, and I always feel like they're topping me, even if I'm the one doing all the physical labor. Yeah, that's true. So right. depending on the position. Yeah, like they'll just be like literally like leaning back, going like, "You better fuck me harder." You know? <laughs> but it's like, so like I'm, I'm still doing all the fucking work. I'm the, like my, I can't fucking turn my face the next. But okay, so Mike, I think my question was you guys are talking specifically about fucking. Yeah. Because sometimes, I mean, in within relationships and queer relationships, like there can be a top just in terms of the relationship, like this is the boss. But that's not always mirrored in the bedroom. So I, I just wanted to make sure that I understood I also what you want meant. to say um, my bestie has, like, a really cute attitude of, like, we bring, we bring those energies outside of relationships and outside of sex as well. Like, um, like if we have plans to hang out, she'll be like, do you want to top this one? Meaning, like, mm. I'll make the plans, find the restaurant, decide, like, when we're going, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Or, like, we're going on a trip, and she's like, I'm going to be the kitchen top. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to, like, get all the supplies and, like, make sure that we're, like, good to go and I'll have some direction for us as far as meals. And then I'm like, cool, I'll be your bottom verse. Like, I'll be your sous chef and I'll also, like, I don't know, I'll mince the onions as fine as you want me to. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of those behaviors really translate right over to the bedroom. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, you're not. You know? I think in some ways what we learn outside of the bedroom helps us better understand what's happening in well I was actually asking just because you guys were talking about Taurus moons and coming from a personal experience being a very bossy person but also being kind of lazy I was like well does this apply to me well I want to say yeah gotta get Mariah (laughs) um I want to say that like I don't necessarily think that like most of the tourist moons who I met are people, including myself, are people who are always the top actually, but we just give off mm. a top energy and we know it because the bottoms are always finding us. Right. You know, like the bottoms are like, hey, and I'm like, oh God, okay, mm-hmm. what's up? Mm-hmm. Well, do you think that's Taurus or do you think that's fixed sign? Um, I don't think, I actually don't think that happens to Aquarians in the same way. And I don't think, I mean, cause I'm, I can't, I can't speak of not knowing. I feel like I, I don't really see that happening to Aquarius in the same way. It's happened to me. Yeah, but. 
I because I feel like there's something there's something that happens with fixed signs, you know, where it's like um, they're just so into doing what they're doing that maybe they don't even realize they're being controlling or topping because they're just so into doing what they're doing. But then by default, they end up topping everybody around them. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think that there's a difference between like what we might call control, controlling energy and what we what might come off as a kind of like steadiness and firmness mm. that like feels like somebody who's going to be the boss of you because they seem to know what they want mm-hmm. just based on the kind of energetic presence that they have. So if somebody's like super like flimsy just in the way they engage and like kind of scattery mm-hmm. and a lot of fixed signs are like hey what's going on yeah I'm right here and they like look deep into your eyes and you think that they can see exactly how you want to be fucked right <laughs> <laughs> or they're just like I'm just gonna fuck you the way that I fuck yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> I just do things the way that I do them so I'm like either you're into it or you're not <laughs> which like if you don't have any idea what you want or what you want to do, like sometimes it is nice to have somebody who's just like, cool, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know. I guess, yeah, I guess it's like me pushing back a little bit. Um, like I don't often, like I don't often hang out with other fixed signs and feel like, oh, they're like this person's controlling me. Like I get a lot of that from the Cardinals. Yeah. Um, I often yeah. feel like I hang out with fixed signs and I'm like, I think that they've got their shit. I know. Together. It's so relieving. What's that? It's so relieving. I mean, I'm a lot of fixed energy. And when I am with other fixed people, I feel very relieved. Yeah, because I don't have to. Like I don't have to wipe their butt. Exactly. Exactly. And they're not trying to boss me around, which I agree with you, Gala. That Cardinal energy feels very bossy a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, I also think like when you're saying like um, the relief, like I think some of that relief is that like um, what I get often with fixed signs, even when they're going nuts, like even if they're going through a really hard time, <laughs> is that like they'll just be like, they'll just look at me and they'll just be like, oh God, I'm fucking going crazy. And I'm like, mm-hmm, I see that. And they're like, yeah, do you want to order in? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? And it's like, period. And it's so we can talk about it more. It's not like we're trying to bro it up. Mm-hmm. we can continue we can have a dinner where we keep having a conversation where we're like yeah so like I am really worked up about my mom and like oh like I really miss my dad sister but mm-hmm. at the same time I don't actually feel some kind of thing where they're kind of digging through my psyche until they find a place where they can store their information right which happens a lot outside of fixed signs mm-hmm. for me and I have to have like much more clear boundary work where I'm like, hmm, okay, I'm going to listen to you for this long and then I'm yeah. going to divert the topic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, think the relief... Mm-hmm. Is, is partly like the boundaries? Is that too big of a... That's too big of a generalization. Yeah. It really depends on a person and their fucking baggage. I don't know about <laughs> boundaries. I feel like for me, like the, the fixed sign is more... I feel so relieved when I can share space with people in whatever way that we don't have to change ourselves for each other. And there's just a natural like, oh, that's how you are. Okay, this is how I'm going to be. But like our energy meets anyway, but like nobody has to adapt. And then um, I forget already what you just said, Gala, but I felt like it was very true when you said it um, with non-fixed energy. Mm-hmm. That there's yeah. this adaptation or there's this feeling of like being um, 
investigated, you know, like looked at very closely or like someone's waiting on me to do something, to be something that I don't know what they're waiting for. Like, I'm yeah. just, I'm just here being myself. Like, what are they waiting for? Why are they looking at me like that? Yeah. Well, or think... like a nervousness, mm. like, or an inability to actually like just be yourself. Right. What mm-hmm. I think is being searched for in me often is like a kind of vulnerability that mm. they haven't actually, they don't actually they want to earned. see. Not, they haven't earned, but also they don't really want to see because often I'm actually a hyper vulnerable person all you have to do is actually get to know me, mm-hmm. you know? And what happens is that I often find myself spending time with mutable cardinal signs who, instead of like getting to know me and just understanding the way I convey my particular kind of vulnerability, will spend most of the time that we spend together kind of um, like throwing their ideas of vulnerability against my wall to see what sticks. Where you're like looking for a back door, like yeah. trying to find the cheat code. They're like up, down, up, down. If you, if you, if you start, open up. Yeah, yeah. Or even like, but it'll look like they're coming for help. Like it'll look like them being like, well, I have this problem. When I have that problem. When I have this problem. When I have that problem. And they're just trying to see where the empathy like really. Clicks. Yeah, and it, it's taken me so long to understand that when people are doing that to me, they don't even they don't want my advice. They don't want my help. They don't want. They don't want, like, the reason that they keep telling me all their problems for three hours is because they want me to suddenly open up some, like, gate where my empathy flows out of and they can see where, how I built that empathy and where it comes from and what the source is. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Should the title of this episode be Three Fixed Signs on a podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. What ain't fixed? Don't break it. (laughs) (laughs) What do you guys think is so gay about Uranus? 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 How do you like to say it? I just feel like I'm not allowed to say Uranus. (laughs) Uranus. So then I just try to find what sounds... Uranus. Yeah, I can't do that. Uranus? I I guess I say your anus. Because remember when I found out, like, you know, there's a long time. A lot of my life was spent just, like, reading astrology books right before, like, the internet, before podcasts. And then I remember, like, the first time I actually heard an astrology podcast or, like, heard an astrologer, like, say it out loud. And I was like, oh, everybody's finding these different ways to say it. So we aren't saying anus. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Why can't we just say anus? I embrace the anus. Embrace the anus. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess I've literally like seen, but my um, Jenny's really good friend, my partner Jenny, one of her good friends, Petra, has like all these great wild old astrology books. She's like uh, that I always look at when we go and visit them up in Vermont. And, um, like, I definitely have seen several books that literally list homosexuality under, Mm -hmm. like, elements or ideas that Uranus rules. Mm -hmm. Um, But also uh, a bucking of tradition and convention and then... But so everybody has Uranus in their chart. Yeah. And we all know that everybody's kind of gay, but in terms of... (laughs) Who actually thinks they're gay? Does it have to do with aspects, placements? Like, what are I these books say, saying? Mm, I feel like I haven't looked at, like, 
an, enough. I don't have like a Rolodex in my brain of like, where are these people's placements? But like for me, Uranus is on my midheaven, right? So mm. that feels very <laughs> so your big like dike energy. Being gay is like, a, yeah, Uranus is on my midheaven. <laughs> <laughs> so it feels like astrology and, and being gay are both like pretty important to like my public persona. Mm-hmm. And I would say that maybe like on any of like, on the midheaven or on the deep, like on any of the, but the, what the angles, the angles, the angles, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that could be cardinal uh, angles, possibly a, uh, a, a indicator. I just want to let everyone know that my Uranus is in the first house. Thank you. How about you? Where's Uranus? <laughs> <laughs> my Uranus is in the fifth house. It's trying with my son. This it's creative expression. Yay! Sexual Conjunct to Jupiter, trying to my son. I just want to say that I can find a way to make it gay for any house. Totally. I, okay, make Uranus gay for make Uranus gay for the second house. Okay, Uranus gay for the second house. It's what's important to you and what you value is your queerness. Freedom. <laughs> make okay, Icarus, Make Uranus gay for the sixth house. For the sixth house. Service, service top. Service top. Servicing. Mm-hmm. What is that? <laughs> you haven't added Uranus. You're putting in work, and you're servicing Uranus. <laughs> you like you like to keep Uranus healthy, so you're using it often. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm just saying, I have a Pisces rising. I can really rationalize anything. I promise. (laughs) Are there other... So what else is gay in a chart? Gala had some good ideas. Like when we were first talking, it seemed like she had... Just throwing out some shit. Yeah. Just my butt. What did I say? Um, I think like... Yeah, I said aspect to Uranus. I also thought like... um, I feel like there was a Pluto thing that you're talking about. Well, brain, what do you know about things? Hold on. Everyone, I feel like an like 11th house is kind of gay. Yeah. Like, well, um, because it's like, we are a family. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like Aquarius is natural house, right? Yeah, exactly. And Uranus is, you know, you know, Uranus was Aquarius. I think, you know, 12th house can be pretty gay because of the, like, you know, who are we really? What is gender? Like, what is that? So it's like you get, you, like, get gay because, like, you don't have specifications. You're just, like, wild and out and free connecting and unconnecting. So, like, aspects to 12th, aspects to, like, Pisces, um, aspects to Neptune. Because of that, um, I think... Um, I think that Uranus in your seventh house could be kind of gay. So mm-hmm. like totally how you mm-hmm. choose a partner. Yeah. Or just like, you know, like bucking this idea of partnership. And mm-hmm. so maybe other aspects can also come into play there. Like Neptune, like having more imagination in the seventh mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. I guess also in like the family houses too, right? Like in the fourth house or the fifth house, mm-hmm. um, you could mean you were like raised in a commune now. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I find like uh, over and over again, um, Venus and or Mars in Aquarius and or Gemini. Oh, Those okay. two. 
again and again, especially with um, like non-binary and trans folks. That makes oh. sense to me. Right, because Mercury could go everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Mercury with Gemini, you mean? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I like yeah. went right there. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like it's like a, I feel like I was thinking about Gemini and Mercury and the, like um, especially as kind of like um, different, like a variants of also just thinking about like the lovers, mm-hmm. you know, um, because uh, I feel like most people, most queers, I, like I don't really know any queers with Venus and Gemini. Ex- like, I think I know. Ashley. Oh, is that true? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Ashley, uh, DM me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm like, like I, I know, I don't know. I guess like I wonder about Ashley too, cause she's an interesting case. <laughs> Let's discuss Ashley on, on the podcast, but I feel like the one person I know who's also a cancer who is actually, who has mm-hmm. Venus and Gemini is someone who would never actually label themselves as gay. They might label themselves as queer, but they're actually a cancer. And I don't know how many cancers you've met, who do this, but I've met 1,000 who are just like, I don't believe in labels and I don't right. like them. You can't label me. Specifically cancers. No. Mm. And like, they want to so accept like, everyone, everything. What's that? They want to be all inclusive. Yeah, I think. Until but, they don't. Until yeah. something went wrong. <laughs> they, uh, I'm pretty sure you mean they want to be all included, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> same, same. <laughs> for that, give yeah, what you I get. Don't they, I don't know if they include everyone. Okay. Um, but it's just like so the cancers bad. that I've known, and like maybe more than one of Venus and Gemini, but there are more people who are just really open about the kinds of connections they can have, and so the connections right. really guide them. So it's not that they even identify with necessarily queerness in this sort of like. Um, particular way that we might the three of us might talk about it right it's not like the deliberate bucking it's more like an expansive openness mm-hmm. yeah i think that maybe with aquarius a there's like a, a contrarian impulse right yeah so like perhaps like venus or mars and aquarius those people are like no i'm fucking gay because i don't want to be like you losers yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm fucking special and i'm fucking gay well, I think also with both of them, there's, I mean, like, you, you're not going to settle on one thing. Mm-hmm. There's too much plurality. Yeah. 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 Aquarius can't commit and Gemini is like, why would, why would I choose? Why would I choose? <laughs> right. And then therefore aspects from Mercury and Uranus to mm-hmm. either Venus or Mars or the moon. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I have squares to both. It's true. Yeah. Like maybe like, um, also like if you're like, you know, female identified and like your moon is conjunct your Venus, maybe there's something there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Your emotional interior mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. similar. I mean, also like, um, an attraction to what would be astrologically the feminine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, wondered, okay, gotcha. Yeah, like with, like, with a... Same forcing. Yeah, or, like, an aspect between those two. Can I mean, you, as somebody who also, like... I don't know, because, like, what about me makes me the gayest? Is it my... Is it Uranus in my first... Is it Uranus in my first house? <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it my son in the 11th house ruled by Uranus? <laughs> <laughs> 
Because mm-hmm. the fact that my Venus is also in my first house, even though it's not conjunctivitis, is it like they're living in the same house? Hmm. Um, or is it like also the fact that my Venus, like, <laughs> can sometimes be in the first house and sometimes in the 12th. Like, I don't know. Or like, or, or like, I don't know. And then I think about Venus placements. Like I said about the Venus moon thing, but I also think about like, I mean, if you have a kind of like, if you have a Mars or Venus, that's a little bit more mutable. I wonder how that goes, Mm -hmm. you know, like if we're talking about queerness, Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. there's a way in which like, the way that you engage with Eros and the way that you want to like engage like in sex and like physical con like (laughs) physical combat. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Aries. (laughs) (laughs) Like if, if that, like if your flexibility in those places can offer you a little door to just wanting to try everything there is and see what works in the moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can do that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I have Venus in Virgo, which is mutable, although Virgo's kind of uptight. Um, you know what? I want to just, I just want to say for for you, and I guess Rose here, that Virgo, and everybody listening, that Virgos are the secret freaks of the Zodiac. So freaky. When it comes to sex. Yes, I would agree. Um, because in the Virgo solar chart, Capricorn's on the 5th. Mm. and I just yeah mm-hmm. um but back to what you were saying Gala I think um Venus and Virgo you know like I love what you just did first of all which is this list of all your queer aspects and I think they're all important sounds like to me to make to make your big dyke energy possible um but Venus and Virgo you know Like, I didn't have, I mean, I grew up in such a liberal, like, space. Like, there wasn't, I never really had this, like, rebellious kind of coming out or feeling of, like, I had to come out. But I did, like, I was super queer as a young teen and, you know, dated other girls, like, had my head shaved. Um, I listened to a recent episode on Tank Girl. I was obsessed with her. Oh my god, it was so good. Oh, so obsessed. And then I went through this very weird phase in college where I became very straight and like thought I was straight. You had like a reverse lug. Yeah, it it was awful. And and like during that time, I remember like really trying to fit into this idea of femininity that I was seeing. Like I grew my hair out. I was trying to like be more conventional femme. I always felt like I was in drag. And then in my 20s, got drunk, hooked up with a good friend who's a woman and had like the best sex. Then I was just smiling for like a month after that, realizing I didn't have to be straight. Um, But that Venus and Virgo to me also feels very practical in a certain way where I'm like on a practical level, things just work better. Like I like it's and not even about sex, just getting along on the day to day. Well, I also wonder, I don't know about all your placements, but like sometimes with practicality, I have certain questions, right? Like what exactly is practical? Like for instance, if you are a Venus Virgo, maybe there's some kinds of, um, maybe some of your love language is very much in service 
And maybe if you aren't necessarily as somebody coming back, coming from like a more liberal or radical background, even as a child, maybe not, maybe kind of um, resistant to being in service to men. It seems really practical. Oh my God. That's so real. <laughs> it It is so real. God, <laughs> thank you, you for saying that. Find somebody who deserves what you respect. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that, I, that's absolutely true. Edinburgh absolutely. Moon. Um, I also identify with that. Mm-hmm. No, I'll be damned. I'll be damned. <laughs> to, to, to pamper them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I also I have Venus in Capricorn, so I also have that pragmatic side. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Venus. Whatever in... that means. Did you just joke? <laughs> You're like, oh god. <laughs> I feel like Renee. Do you think that a Venus in Capricorn is practical? I think there might be a love of practicality. Like, I really love this new tool that I just got, and I'm going to build something with it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know in terms of love, like, because I don't think Capricorn, like, Capricorn loves to think that it's practical, but the way that it just gets so set on whatever it thinks it's right, that's highly impractical. You know, like, practicality is also adaptive. It's true. I mean, I just have to say, like, given the, like, the biggest metaphor that we always have around Capricorn, which is that they will, like, take the longest way to get to the shortest point, Mm. I just can't see how practical is the word that comes floating around. Well, I think that there's, I mean, maybe it's, like, like, uh... Good with our resources. Like, practicality when it comes to objects, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or clothes. Like, maybe it's more functional, yeah, they're not really great with people, let's be real. <laughs> I had to, my, my grandmother just passed uh, in February. She was a Capricorn queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, like, literally took 26 years of my life to get her, to, to train her to actually say I love you when we got mm-hmm. on the phone. My mm-hmm. sister and I used to, like, time talk. And, like, she loved the shit out of us. We had a very close relationship, but it's, like, she was a not sentimental and not super comfortable, like, connecting in that way. Right. Meanwhile, like, my mother is a Capricorn, and, like, it's true with objects. Like, you know, I can leave a ratty, like, a ratty fucking item that I've worn to death at her house and somehow, like, come back, like, five years later, and it's it looks crisp and new, like, I've never worn it, but... <laughs> But then, like, the moment I, like, leave her house with any object, it just, like, deteriorates. I'm like, how is it that you can just, like, keep objects? Like, she knows how to care for them. There's a lot to this. Like, you know, it's, like, immigrant stuff, like, growing up poor, having one dress. You know, I get it. Like, she has a lot of skills. But I used to, like, you know, um, one of my friends is pregnant, and it's, like, there's not a lot of things I call my mom for. Like, almost nothing. But the moment that I, you know, and I, I already told her about this, so it's fine, but, like, the moment I was like, oh, I got to get a present for my friend. I called my mom up and I'm like, listen, I want to buy my friend a giant chunk of amber so that her baby can cheat on it. And you are going to be able to find the best quality amber and you're going to understand the quality of the amber and you won't get tricked on the price because you know what a good price is. So will you find it for me? And she's like, of course I will look, but you should know that here's the other gifts you should give instead. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but meanwhile, it's like, 
she has, you know, arthritis and diabetes and she takes these chemo pills and all this stuff. And like, literally, I had a conversation with her like a week ago that was like, mom, if you're in so much pain right now, you really shouldn't be eating any inflammatory foods, which includes nightshades. So you should really stay away from like eggplant and pepper and tomato, as well as the, as well as the flour and the sugar, etc. I call her yesterday and I'm like, oh, she's like, oh God, like I never know what to eat. And I'm like, why don't you make yourself a big salad? She's like, I know. I just like, I bought myself all these salad fixings, but all I can do is just eat these tomatoes and these peppers. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay. So like, not very practical. Not at fucking all. <laughs> and then I'm like, mom, like I told you those are inflammatory foods. And she was like, well, everyone on TV says they're very healthy foods. Hmm. So. Well, there you have it. <laughs> I hope you learned something, Renee. I learned so much. My penis massage makes me gay too. Yes. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. I think anything, anything in Sag could be gay. <laughs> I mean, it's adventurous, right? It's. I feel like, but also, night. like Sagittarius can be the biggest um, homophobe. I mean, it's that like fundamentalist zealot thing. Zealot thing. But if you're a freedom-loving Sag, then fuck yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I think a Sag is just open for everything. I think, like, Sag placements and Virgo placements actually make you, like, really open to different kinds of kinks. Right. More than, like, even, like, identity stuff. Okay, so I have Jupiter conjunct Uranus in Sag square to my Venus conjunct Mercury in Virgo. Oh, yeah. That sounded real gay to me. That's what <laughs> And Aquarius on the seventh house cusp. Ooh. But al- that also means like really unconventional partnership. Definitely. What do you feel about unconventional? What's your partnership like ethos? In terms of like partnership ethos, I don't think that there is one right way to do it. And I think that they evolve. And I guess that's my main ethos is like, if a partnership is going to be sustainable, it has to be one that evolves and like all people, both people, or if it's more than two people, like everybody is committed to each other's growth and like ongoing growth. Um, And that feels super important to me. And I have zero attachment to like, I don't know, cohabitating or having kids or like co-ownership of stuff like I'll do it if you know that's the thing to do but it doesn't necessarily like define partnership to me what's your guys ethos about partnership I mean I I just feel like I don't know that many people who have it fully figured out so I'm open but in general I just I I think uh what you said about having room for growth is like really the most important for me. And I feel like, um, I was actually in therapy the other day. Uh, and we were talking Mm. and, uh, you know, there's like, there's like this idea of my past where like I was in relationships or collaborations that were like pretty harmful and like, how do you know when like something is good for you or when it's not? Because it's like, you think you know what you're doing. And then like, sometimes something clicks and you wake up and you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Mm-hmm. And so like trying to figure out like, how do you measure that? And um, 
I was talking to my therapist, I was like, you know, I have no idea what I know better than I knew then, but I do know that, like, when I look around at my life and, like, what has happened that, like, coincides with, like, this current relationship, like, it's all opening and growing and, like, getting bigger and becoming more myself. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I want. And I, that doesn't mean that, like, I know what a relationship looks like that gives me that, but then I'm, like, more focused on looking at my life and how I feel in my life and then looking at the relationships that are in it and being like, okay, these can stay. Right. And, like, if I'm in stuff where I start to feel stuck or stagnant or I'm, like, made to feel smaller or less capable, then it's like, oh, yeah, maybe this is something I need to move away from. Right. Uh, So I feel like that's my ethos. I, I don't think that... I think that non-monogamy is a lot more difficult than monogamy as far as the moving parts involved, or at least, like, for me, it feels like it would be hard. And, like, I also think that, like, being with one person forever seems incredibly difficult. So it's, like, what's the in-between there? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, like, I do like the idea of, like, being an old-ass person with another old-ass person. Yeah. like... I've known you forever, but then it's like, how do you, how do you get there? How do you not want to? Right. No. Well, I think, I mean, my like, um, discomfort with monogamy has nothing to do with not wanting companionship that is sustainable for a long time. And I think that when there's not room to at least acknowledge that there's going to be attraction to other people, Mm-hmm. And maybe there can be flirting or maybe there can even be intimacy, but it doesn't have to threaten like the existing relationship. Like to me that in concept is the thing that I want in practice is complicated. It feels really complicated, but it feels complicated more because of the constructs that I feel like we're fighting against. In terms of like, oh, if you have sexual attraction to someone else or if you want to spend time with someone else, then that means that you don't love me. Mm-hmm. And like that's not, I don't think that's real. It's like the, those are ideas that have been put there by Hollywood and religion or, you know. Yeah. Well, also just like, again, this idea of like moving away from either or to both and, right? Like right. Like both love you and be committed to you and also like be attracted to other people and be like interested in exploring that within certain parameters. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think about how to talk about something that I believe generally and also what I believe personally for me right now. So like on a, in a general way, like I, I'm a very non-monogamous person, and I agree with what you're talking about, Renee. Like, just the idea that, you know, we're all sentient beings with desires, and, like, the fact that you find companionship and care with one person doesn't all of a sudden just make you unable to sense and feel connection with others in the world. Um... I think that that is a very valuable thing for people to remember. I personally don't think everyone is like that, right? And I think that it's really wise for people to figure out what they can and can't be open to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So for me, like, I, I like being, I like being in relationships that 
or here's the thing like I've been in so many variations of poly relationships I've been a primary partner I've been one of many dates I've been the don't ask don't tell person (laughs) you know I've been I've been the you know like I've been the girlfriend on the side of a marriage like I you know and they're all different they're all so different and each time I've just felt like an astronaut on another planet being like I wonder what this will be like Mm um and it's like and they've given me a, a lot of information, you know, like I think each one has given me a lot of information, not only about who I am in relationships, but who other people are. And it might be valuable for me to say that one of my big polyamory ethos is that like the other femme is more important to me than mm. my desire. Mm. So like, just to clarify, that's like the other femme means like the other femme of the person that you're dating yeah okay so for me one of my ethos is that when I'm dating people and I often date masculine presenting people um I and because I'm in polyamory situations like if there is another person in that group I mean sometimes it could be someone who's not particularly femme presenting then that's fine too like I also have the same respect for that person but because so much of this patriarchal culture has like pit feminine people against each other for me as part of my queer ethos I will always look to the other femme that like is into is with or loves the person that I'm falling for and I want to respect her presence and I want to honor it and I want to say like hey, you know, I actually see you and you're valuable and you're not disposable and I'm not trying to replace you, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, like, that is a lot of the ethos that, I mean, I've tried to operate with it when I was young and as I've grown older, like, I've gotten better and, and like, better at it because for me it's really valuable. The only times in my life where sometimes it got complicated were times where, for instance, I wasn't introduced to the other person. Right. And it wasn't really my place to bring myself into their life and say, well, I know you don't want to know the other person, but here I am. And do I have your permission? Right. You know? Yeah. My current relationship ethos is actually that I need to be alone for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm really trying to lean into my Aries North node. That's directly um, in your eight? on my IC. Oh, it's on your IC. Wait, you're Scorpio rising? No, not that wrong. I'm a, I'm like a, I'm like a sad rising. You're sad rising. Degrees. Got you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like, for me, a lot of my, you know, it's talking about family trauma. It's like a lot of my family trauma was about this like feeling of aloneness, right? Like being new immigrants, being the only person in my family who truly assimilated, being like thrown into a, a country and being told like to become other from the rest of the people in my family, learning my language and how to speak from other people. You know, this language that I use to to be in the world that like get like that is my main tool is a language that I never like I didn't learn from my family right. I didn't learn how to speak from people I, I loved right? right so for me a lot of my core wounds relational wounds have been about this sort of like um alienation and aloneness and I think in the past year, I've been really coming to terms with the fact that I need to reclaim that as my power mm. and, like, think about it as, like, a, a tool that was given to me to, like, to be powerful alone. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've operated, actually, like, I've from a deep fear of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got Chiron in my seventh house, you know, like, 
<laughs> it's my chirons in Gemini in my seventh house. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like language, connection, partnership. There's a lot of wounding there. And for me, like my current, what I feel calling to my current path is to really embrace my Aries North node in my fourth house as like the, the beginning root of my power instead of my wound, mm. you know? So my current ethos is I would really like to connect. I would enjoy intimacy and adventure as a Sag Venus, but I have to do all the work that I'm doing, all the healing work I'm doing, not so that I could potentially one day have a quote-unquote healthy relationship, but that so I could one day feel like whether or not I have a relationship will not define whether or not I've like, like a healthy relationship that equals partnership will define whether or not like I'm lovable. Yeah. Amen. I hear that. So my current ethos is like, like my vision board is just like a cork board with like just me. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Oh man. Got, um, any good jokes? (laughs) (laughs) I know you are. All right. All right. Well, that was all. Um, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. We got into a lot of different stuff and I know I had a great time. I had a great time talking to them and I had a great time listening. So thanks Rosengala for joining me for this special episode. These episodes are all made by me and the people that I talk with. If you want to support Embodied Astrology and support more shows like this, please go to embodiedastrology.com and click on the tip jar or become a monthly subscriber and 100% of what you give goes towards this project and um, more shows like this and all the astrology and queer astrology that you love. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Bye for now.